I'm all about that fuss-free glam. Give me makeup that's versatile and feels like air on my skin and has ingredients that love my face, that's good for my face. You know, clean ingredients. And don't even get me started on mascaras because I do want them bold and lengthening. <laughs> and so we have Thrive Cosmetics, which I've been using since 2020, obviously because I appreciate their foolproof products that make it really easy to apply for any skill level. And they have a full line of makeup to refresh your everyday look, but also they give back. Every product purchased, Thrive Cosmetics donates products and funds to help communities thrive. Hence why it's Thrive Cosmetics, C a u s e medics thrive cosmetics and bigger than beauty skincare are not just makeup brands they're a whole vibe they're all about empowering us to rock our confidence and when you support them we are helping other communities thrive their stuff is not only easy to use but no nasties zero parabens sulfites phthalates they are 100 vegan and cruelty free let's talk lashes thanks to thrive's liquid lash extensions i must say that my lashes are just so beautiful and lush it adds lengths there are no clumps and also guess what it slides right off with warm water so no raccoon eyes here and i appreciate they have nourishing ingredients that support longer stronger and healthier looking lashes over time and it's a unique formula they use that creates these tubes around each eyelash to lengthen them. We've had problems in the past with the link, but the link does work now. Refresh your everyday look with Thrive Cosmetics, luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 10% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com magic. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash magic for 10% off your first order. Okay, this is pretty awesome. So if you are into science-backed products when it comes to your health, your gut health, but also woman-owned products, I must introduce you to Equilibria. I'm so thankful I discovered them this year. I mean, Equilibria, they help you take on your wellness journey knowing that you have a dedicated one-on-one -on -one support to help you achieve your goals. So it's not like you're just taking a pill mindlessly. You actually get one-on-one -on -one support. That's awesome. And their signature product, which is EQ's Daily Women's Microbiome Defense, it comes in a convenient three-in-one capsule form. And so this is specifically formulated to bolster digestive health and fortify gut barrier protection, among other benefits. And we know that a balanced gut not only enhances our immunity, but also contributes to our overall mental well-being and our quality of sleep, of course, having efficient digestion and even radiant skin. But what distinguishes Equilibria's probiotic supplement is its meticulous selection, which is tailored to women's health needs. And of course, like I said, science-backed, and they're also ensuring affordability without compromising potency. And as someone who once struggled pretty severely with gut health issues for years, I intensified my focus on gut health in, I'd say around 2020, and I'm thrilled to have recently discovered these products this year as, of course, they're backed by research for women's well-being, they're women-owned, and they support overall microbiome health, warding off harmful bacteria and enhancing our nutrient absorption. So head to myeq.com and use code MAGIC for 15% off Equilibria's microbiome defense and much more. That's myeq com and use code magic at checkout for 15% off site-wide today.
a shocking realization on my journey of doing these interviews and all this research is I've realized the world's most successful people are never and were never fearless. Not once. The more research I did, the more I realized how terrified they were in the beginning of their journeys. And what I realized is fearlessness was never their goals. They never were reaching for fearlessness. Instead, the goal is courage. Now let the magic begin. Hello, Soul Tribe. It's Raquel. And happy birth giving day to my mama. <laughs> Thank you, mama, for holding me in your room for nine months and allowing me to enter the world 28 years ago where I was able to take my first breath and live this roller coaster of a human experience my soul intended to. And I'm just really happy that my soul chose you. I truly, I chose well. I chose very well. My mom is amazing. And for my birthday, I am celebrating in Ireland. A wee bit of a last land. <laughs> I'm the worst. Oh man, I left London and I spontaneously decided to take some time in the countryside of Northern Ireland, just outside of Belfast, surrounded by 50 shades of greenery. And this morning, I hiked the hill behind me about three and a half miles high behind a castle, and I was walking through the clouds, and I was like, oh, this is life. This is exactly what I needed. No more buildings, because the sky, oh, so beautiful. I was walking through the clouds because the sky has been falling these Irish mornings. And honestly, though, I couldn't really quite see the sun through the cloud around me. I felt her stronger than I could ever feel her when I was when I was in a city. Well, I am I'm where I need to be right now, where I feel called to right now. And tomorrow, well, the day you'll actually be listening to this, so your today, if you listen to this the day it releases on August 20th, I will be in Dublin just for a day, and soon I'll be surrounded with a bunch of shamans hanging out as we communicate with nature in the highlands of Scotland. I'm really excited for that experience. A new journey is about to unfold. I am beyond thrilled. I already feel such a shift and a change on this 28th year of my life already, and it's only been a day, but I'm still in the midst of my Saturn return, and so I am just <laughs> buckling my seatbelt for this roller coaster that I'm really really excited to embark on and of course I'll share with you here as soon as you know I'm about to wrap up this two-year journey around the world that was mostly solo except for of course hanging out with Ali in Hawaii for a good period of time but yeah I've, I haven't been on the mainland of the states for about two years wow and so I am going to go back to the mainland soon, but only for a short stop because for whatever reason, Mama Hawaii keeps popping up in my dreams and I'm pretty sure it's just a sign that I shall settle there because though the nomad life has been wonderful, I'm ready to settle down and I believe it's supposed to be there unless I'm guided otherwise. And I'm basically ready to settle wherever I feel the most 
success spiritually and mentally and emotionally and physically and what other lees are there uh romantically <laughs> um your own magically <laughs> yomly <laughs> i don't know oh i would once define success as being and just feeling so alive that i am able to not just survive but also to tap into that magic deep inside that encourages me to truly thrive. And in this episode, I love the definition of today's courageous and brilliant guest who chased Larry King through a grocery store and interviewed some of the world's leading visionaries. And this is actually his second time on the show, Alex Benayan. I'm so thankful that Alex reached out to Allie to come back on the show and that she forwarded this message to me. I was like, of course, this is a hell yes. So I would need to not only thank Allie for this connection, but also you guys, Tribe. You'll hear his gratitude for so many of you reaching out. And I am pretty sure that he checks all of his DMs and he messages back pretty much everybody, but it's because of your support. He wanted to come back on and dive even deeper. Now, for those of you just being introduced to Alex for the first time, well, if his story doesn't inspire you to be persistent in the pursuit of your dreams, then I don't know what will. I'm just saying. There's always a way, Alex will say. <laughs> and Alex is one of my fellow college mates, which we didn't even know. Somehow he managed to forego studying for USC finals, which is absolutely insane to me because <laughs> they were indeed not the easiest. And instead he studied how to hack the prices right, which mission accomplished. He went on the show the day before finals, won a sailboat, sold it and used the money, the prize money, to travel to the world's leading entrepreneurs, artists, and visionaries to pick their brains and share their magic in his best-selling book, The Third Door. And in this interview, he talks about his experiences interviewing Steven Spielberg, Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, Jessica Alba, Lady Gaga, Tim Ferriss, and one of my personal heroes, Maya Angelou. And there are so many more in his book, too. It's... it's truly unbelievable. Alex has also been named Forbes 30 under 30 lists, Business Insider's most successful people under 30, and was also the world's youngest venture capitalist when he was 19. Kind of an amazing resume, but I want to give him a prize for his captivating storytelling ability, not only on paper, but also in this interview. I was truly at the edge of my seat, but what really, really made my heart melt during this interview was his heartfelt sentiment for his father towards the end. So I really can't wait for you to listen. There might be tears strolling down your face, Maybe. Just fair warning. Now, for those of you who may feel motivated by this episode, allow me to just slide in here a little practical tool that may help you develop the skills you need to thrive in whatever your goal or vision may be. I'm personally taking skill enhancement courses right now, a creative writing masterclass so I can finish my book for my literary agent, and a portrait photography class. And I may also choose to dabble in some entrepreneurial 
entrepreneurship or productivity courses. I'm learning every day and there's over 20,000 courses at my fingertips to learn new skills and to strengthen my passions. So Tribe, you're so welcome. Your own magic's new sponsor, Skillshare, is gifting you two months to take as many courses as you want for only 99 cents. Uh-huh, just 99 cents, just shy of a dollar for two whole months when you use our special link, Skillshare.com forward slash magic. So more on Skillshare in the middle of this episode, but for now, check it out. Just go to Skillshare.com forward slash magic to start your two months for 99 cents now. Oh, and I can't forget to mention the Yomi review of the week before we move forward. So this one is by Jaden Furtado, five stars, magical, her second review. And she wrote, my heart resonates with each and every podcast from your own magic. Allie and Raquel helped me find alignment every single day. And the soul tribe is magical. Almost a year later, I find myself more soul deep than ever. Raquel isn't just my role model. She's my soul model. (laughs) She radiates with bright beaming light and overflowing love. Her ability to connect with each and every one of us is so profound. She truly cares and I aspire to love as hard as she does. Mm. Jaden, I love you so, so much. You know this. You know this. Jaden is actually a very active member in the Soul Tribe Facebook group that I am beyond grateful for. She's always commenting and helping other Yomis, and that definitely doesn't go unnoticed. And Jaden even created a group for the Yomi entrepreneurs out there who may not only love this episode, but may want to connect with other Yomi entrepreneurs called the Magical Yomi Manifestors. I love when Yomis create other niche spaces for other Yomis. And I know I sound biased, but it's it's everyone in the tribe like Jaden that make this the most magical tribe on Mama Earth. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. And I know she's also going through a lot right now. So if you have a moment to just send some loving prayers Jaden's way, that would be amazing. And also, if you want to be a Yomi Review of the Week, I would love to personally hear your words and read your review to the tribe. Just rate and review and you'll also receive one of my guided meditative imaginings and be entered for the $150 Hum Nutrition Giveaway when you send it to hello at yourownmagic.life. Anyways, I do believe it is finally time to let the magic begin with Alex Benayan. Hi, Alex. Hello. I'm so happy to be doing this and so excited. I am so happy too. And congrats, by the way, on your best-selling success of The Third Door. It is huge. Taking over. Thank you so much. And also, fight on, by the way. I'm also a USC trojan. Really? When did you go? Yep, yep. Graduated 2014. No way. So we're the same year. Wait, no, what? (laughs) Are you serious? I was in Annenberg. Wait, Stop. This is unbelievable. What? How did I, I... I didn't even know you. How is this possible? What school did you go to at USC? I went to... I went to Marshall. And okay. then... This is... I can't... I'm shocked. <laughs> I'm genuinely shocked. How were we not best friends in college? I know. I have no idea. We love the same thing. And that's why I'm excited to pick your brain. I don't know. I was did in you, Annenberg. Did you ever hang around Annenberg? I Not lived really. There. I had like okay. you lived there. Did you do like the Trojan TV or like? I did. <laughs> really? Okay. Please tell me more. The, I did the newsroom. 
Oh man, those were the days. Were you but with, like, I never went in front of the camera. I had a friend I who just... did that stuff. Her name was like Annalise. Annalise. Wow, this is I'm, – I'm not kidding. I'm like so happy and shocked. <laughs> I feel like we're long-lost best friends. We are long-lost best friends. What in the world? We probably pass each other many times. So well, now, were... now we're best friends. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> This is definitely going in the intro, by the way. They will love it. (laughs) Yes, please. So, Alex, now, the tables have turned on you. You're being interviewed by everyone for interviewing (laughs) everyone. Well, at least the world's leaders. And I am so thankful that you reached out to Ali, who connected us for you to come back on the show again, because I didn't get to talk to you last time. And so now I'm so excited to pick your brain for all the gold that you've curated. I am so, so grateful and excited because the first one was such a beautiful conversation in your community that you guys have built. The response was just so profound, you know, seeing people do the 30 day challenge and seeing people journaling and it was really, really beautiful. They're going to be so happy to hear from you again. This makes me so happy. Oh my God. We're going to go even deeper this time. We're going to bring the fire. Oh, oh, trust me. Yeah, we're going deep. I can't wait to ask you so many questions after reading some of your book too. And also, I'm just so curious. How has your life changed, by the way, since the launch of the book? Hmm. It's funny because it's two different jobs. You know, when I was making the book, and I'm sure, you know, you can relate to this, the, the job of creation is really like a job of, you know, you turn off your phone, you turn off your computer, you're full in, you know, six hours, you're writing, you're thinking, you know, you're really in this flow. And then promotion, especially in like 2018 with like social media and all that stuff, you are doing sort of like 50 things at once. And what I've noticed is that it's a new operating system. It's a new way of doing things that I'm I'm learning to get a, a groove on. But My favorite moments are moments like this where I actually can, you know, my phone is off right now. I'm talking with you. We're going to go deep. And that's the most enjoyable part. And I I actually think that's why conversations like this resonate with people because this is just the most real way of, you know, sharing a message. True connection. That's exactly why I love to do this too. And that's... Uh, I love that you said that because I know that there's so much chaos and noise that is probably thrown your way throughout the day, but your favorite part is to just connect with others. That says a lot. And that's true about your journey too. You've just been connecting with so many people. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. And also now everyone has their own definition of success. And I'm really curious about how yours has probably evolved after interviewing who you call the world's most successful and your own definition of success today. When I had started working on the book, as you know, I started with the the Price is Right. You know, I had the idea of I'm going to go out and track down the world's most successful people and figure out when they were just starting, how do they launch their careers? So I won the Price is Right, you know, hacked it won a sailboat, sold, and that's how I got the money. And as soon as I had the money to go on this journey, I had my first problem, which is, all right, who are the most successful people? Like, how am I going to define success? And I didn't really have a good answer for that. I was 18. I was a freshman in college. So I just did the only thing I could think of. I called my best friends. And they all came over one night. This is summer vacation after freshman year. And they all come over and I asked them, guys, 
if we can create our dream university, who would be our professors? And that made it really easy. You know, Bill Gates would teach business. Steve Wozniak would teach computer science. You know, Spielberg would teach film. Buffett would teach finance. Maya Angelou would teach poetry. Jane Goodall would teach science. You know, we had this, you know, really wild list. And that sort of solved my problem of not really having to define the definition in the beginning. And it really created the treasure map for the journey. And it wasn't until... You know, the book is the seven-year journey for me, and about three or four years into it is when I really learned the definition of success. And it happened with none other than Apple co-founder Steve Wozniak. I was super excited to be doing the interview, and I, I flew to Cupertino, California, where Apple is headquartered, and we're having lunch at this Chinese restaurant called Mandarin Gourmet, two blocks from Apple headquarters. And I get there, you know, we're supposed to have lunch at 12. I get there, you know, 15 minutes early. I'm waiting outside the restaurant for Wozniak to arrive, and my phone rings, and it's my friend Ryan. And I'm telling him, you know, all about how excited I am for Steve Wozniak. And he goes, the Woz? <laughs> really? Oh, Dude, like Woz peaked like 20 years ago. You know, look at the Forbes list. Steve Jobs was on it. Steve Wozniak wasn't. You know, do you know what? Maybe it's good you're interviewing him. Try to find out why Woz was never as successful as Steve Jobs. And, you know, before I could think of a response, I looked up and I saw Wozniak walking right towards me. So I said bye to my friend. I hung up and I gave, you know, Wozniak a big hug. And we go into the restaurant and we sit down and instantly, it is undeniable, this is one of the happiest people I've ever met. We It doesn't matter if we're talking about his dogs or his wife or his cars or his road trip to Lake Tahoe. Like, this guy is just beaming with joy. And, you know, we order food and, he, you know, he has – he's ordering us salads and Chinese chicken, you know, honey walnut prawns and egg rolls and, you know, it's just this amazing feast and we're just having so much fun. And he's telling me about how him and Steve Jobs met, you know, just a few blocks away from where we were having lunch and how their original bond was over pranks. And Waz starts telling me about all these hilarious pranks and I'm crying of laughter. And about halfway through lunch, a woman shows up at the table and Wozniak introduces me to his wife, Janet. And she joins us for lunch and Wozniak tells his wife about my book and he explains to her that I'm you know, interviewing the world's most successful people. And then Wozniak turns to me and he sort of lowers his voice and he goes, I don't know why you're interviewing me. I'm not some big mogul like Steve Jobs or something like that. And he sort of, you know, trailed off as if he was baiting me for a response. But I didn't know what to say, so I did the only thing I could think of. I I just stuffed an egg roll in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, you know, I, I stuffed an egg roll and I buy myself some time. <laughs> and what ends up happening is Wozniak and I, you know, keep talking. And the question my friend Ryan asked me before the interview began popped up into my mind. So I asked Wozniak, you know, what it was like starting Apple with Steve Jobs in the early days. And Wozniak told me a handful of stories, but three really stand out to me. 
that really show me the difference between the two of them. So the first one takes place before Apple even got started. Steve Wozniak, Steve Jobs were best friends, and Steve Jobs was working at Atari, the video game company. And Steve Jobs' boss assigned Jobs to create this video game, but he knew that his friend Wozniak was a better coder. So he goes, hey, Woz, if you make the game, I'll you know turn it in and we'll split the $750 pay. And Woz goes, hey, that's super fair. I love it. I'm, I'm so grateful. And Wozniak you know, knocks it out of the park. Steve Jobs turns it in. It's a big hit. And Jobs gives him half of $750. Decades later, it's revealed in the news somehow that Steve Jobs was never paid $750 for that game. He was paid thousands of dollars. So that's the first story. And the next one takes place in the early days of Apple. Apple was growing rapidly. You know, they were really just on this incredible trajectory. And in the early days, it was obvious as the company was growing bigger and bigger that Steve Jobs was going to be the CEO. But it wasn't obvious what position on the executive team Steve Wozniak would have. Would he be chief technology officer? You know, what what would he be? So Steve Jobs just asked him, you know, what do you want to be on the executive team? And Wozniak thinks about it and he goes, look, years ago I decided that my definition of success is that I want to make something with my bare hands using engineering that changes the world. And I want to have fun while doing it. And nothing about being an executive in a company allows me to do either of those things because I won't be engineering anymore. I'll be managing engineers And I'll be spending all my time doing politics and bureaucracy. So I don't want to be on the executive team. I want to have my position capped as engineer. And, you know, that's sort of the opposite of, you know, Silicon Valley culture today. No kidding. It's just remarkable. And the third story takes place a few years later when Apple is having their IPO, their initial public offering. And Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak are set to make more money than they ever could have imagined. But right before the IPO, a few of the earliest Apple employees went to Wozniak and said, hey man, um, you know, Steve Jobs won't give us any stock options. And Woz goes, hey, that's impossible. You guys are like family to us. You guys pretty much helped start the company. That must be a mistake. Let me go talk to Steve Jobs. And, you know, Woz goes, talks to him, and Steve Jobs pretty much says, you know, 0% chance it's not happening, and slams the door. And Wozniak does the only thing he feels he can do. He gifts some of his own personal stock to those early employees. And on the day of the IPO, all those early employees became millionaires. And, you know, as our lunch in the Chinese restaurant comes to an end – Waz is leaning back in his chair and laughing and smiling, you know, cracking open a fortune cookie. And again, the question my friend Ryan, what he had asked me came into my mind. And the only thing I could think of was, who's to say Steve Jobs was more successful? Yes. Oh, Charles. Alex, you're truly one of the most captivating storytellers I've ever 
listen to, and I can't wait to hear more of <laughs> Thank you story. so much. Who is to say, though? Because Waz, I mean, he did what he wanted to do. He had fun. And oh, he... yeah, and on the biggest scale, you know, who who's changed yes. the world more with, an, with their bare hands creating engineering? With his bare hands. Right. And who's had more fun? You know, he's just... He's, you know, 100 for 100 on his goals. <laughs> he is. It doesn't matter if he's a name or not. He lives his life and he's lived his life the way he intended. And you, you, according to Waz's definition, are also clearly riding your own wave of success because with your own bare hands, you created this phenomenal book and you had mm. fun doing it as it seems. It's so I'm much fun. So much fun, I'm sure. And I'm sure you also are so busy now. You're, as you said, your life has drastically changed. And I'm sure that you have a lot of wisdom that you've learned from others that maybe you implement into your own day and work routine to make your life easier. Is there anything that you do daily? Maybe a couple of things you can think of off the top of oh, your head yeah. that you learned from the greats. Absolutely. Well, I actually have a great, as you were saying that a quote came to my mind from one of my close friends. Her name is Dina Robertson. And anybody who practices yoga in LA or New York or Montreal probably knows her her studio, uh, Moto Yoga. And she always says, she says, busy is a choice. And I love that. You know, busy is a choice. And I absolutely agree. You know, you can be the, you know, most, you know, the wealthiest person on earth. You know, I had, I had a really wonderful, you know, life-changing experience and it wasn't, I didn't spend that much time with him, but with Jeff Bezos, the founder of Amazon a few months ago. And I, you know, complete coincidence, but the weekend that I met him was also the weekend that he became the richest man on earth. Wow. Like it's coming, no. it was, the timing was a coincidence, but so the day, the day I met him was the day the news came out that he's the richest man on earth. And it was at this event called Summit Series, and Bezos was there for the whole, for the three days, and I would see him walking around the event, um, and not once did he did I ever 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 he was the only attendee or speaker at that conference that I never saw a cell phone in his hands. And you know, if there's ever a person on Earth who like needs to like answer crazy questions and, you know, probably has an inbox overflowing and has a million people asking him things. It's probably Jeff Bezos. But then it goes back to what my friend Dina said, which is busy is a choice. And I believe life is a product of our choices. And you can choose to be busy. And, you know, sometimes I, I choose to be busy because I get over eager and I want to bite off a lot of stuff and I get excited about things. But I also I realize, yeah, <laughs> at the same time, you know, nothing makes me happier than spending, you know, six hours sitting on a couch with my sisters. So during, you know, during the book launch, while there's, you know, in theory, a lot of a lot of things I could be doing in a six hour window. To me, sitting with my sisters on the couch and just like watching stand up comedy together is the greatest use of that six hours because it just makes me so happy. And it allows me when I get back to, you know, sitting at my desk, it just makes me feel like myself again and I can go at it a hundred miles an hour. 
Oh, yes. That's what life is about is to also play, play a lot. It's about the balance. And you're right. That choice to be busy is a choice. I love that. And also the fact that he had he didn't have his phone around makes me feel so much better because my phone is honestly on airplane mode most of my days. I love We are twins. <laughs> we are twins. Airplane mode it. is my favorite feature on a phone. <laughs> me too. And my friend Christina was staying with me and she was giving me so much crap for it. But I love it. I love being disconnected because it makes me feel more connected. Yeah. Yeah. And also you knock down all these doors to get to where you are. And I love your metaphor, by the way, the three doors. It's so spot on. And a lot of people might feel like they're standing behind the first door all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you briefly refresh our memories or share for those who are just being introduced to you, uh, the three doors and who's behind door one, two, and three? So first of all, thank you. That means a lot. And as I said, you know, this has been a seven-year journey. And when I had started, there was no intention to find that, you know, one key to success. We've all seen those TED Talks or those business books, and normally I just roll my eyes. But what ended up happening is that about, you know, 70% into my journey of interviewing all these people, I realized every single one of them treats life and business and success the exact same way. And anyone who's a big music lover the analogy that came to me is, you know, it was almost like there was a common melody in every interview I was doing. And, you know, I was 21 at the time. So the analogy that came to me was that it's sort of like getting into a nightclub. There's always three ways in. There's the first door, the main entrance, where the line curves around the block, where 99% of people wait around hoping to get in. You know, that's the line where you're just standing, holding your resumes, hoping the bouncer lets you in. That's the first door. And then there's the second door, the VIP entrance, where the billionaires and celebrities go through. And for some reason, school and society have this way of making you feel like those are the only two ways in. You're either born into it or you wait your turn like everybody else. But what I've learned is that there's always always the third door. And it's the entrance where you have to jump out of line, run down the alley, bang on the door a hundred times, crack open the window, go through the kitchen. There's always a way in. And it doesn't matter if that's how Bill Gates sold his first piece of software or how Lady Gaga got her first record deal. They all took the third door. So that's not only the title of the book and the thesis of the book, that's really the energy I'm trying to inject into the reader's. Oh, I love it. That's so motivating. And you indeed broke through that third door. You <laughs> you found a way. And I didn't know this part of your story until I read it, but I feel like the universe helped nudge you a bit as mm. this idea came to mind when you saw them standing in front of you. You saw Steven Spielberg and George Lucas and who? Uh, Jeffrey, <laughs> and Jeffrey Katzenberg, Katzenberg yeah. and Jack Black. Like Great what? Memory, yeah. come, like how in the world? <laughs> the universe definitely gifted that to you as to show you like, this is your journey. So four of the biggest names in the film industry in front of you. And you just happened to pull a Spielberg on Spielberg, which I love <laughs> by working his game. That's so brilliant. And I think that this is an important, this is so important to note that 
you know, you knew that if you didn't approach Spielberg, who was standing in front of you, that your mission, your idea, your dream would be over before it started. Mm. That's so profound. And what pushed you for those who have a hard time finding the strength and the courage to go and pursue what they want? Like what gave you the courage to come to him, to go to him? So what I've learned about fear, you know, I, it's funny because what most people don't know about me is I'm probably one of the, especially grown up, one of the most scared, scaredy kids you'd ever meet. Like I had a nightlight on until I was 12. Like I was just scared of everything. And me too. <laughs> <laughs> like it was like I was a, I was just afraid of everything. I was afraid to pet dogs. I was afraid of the dark. I was afraid of heights. I was afraid of roller coasters. I was just afraid of everything. We are and, twins. We are twins. <laughs> isn't it? It's funny. Like most people like just can't relate. I was just scared of everything and I still have a ton of fears and when I was in third grade, I remember the first time I remembered feeling the flinch. And the flinch is what I call this, you know, very, very, you know, strong element within me that almost felt like a, a person living within me. And... I remember in third grade, I was, you know, going to lunch in the elementary school cafeteria and I walk into the cafeteria and these long ta wooden tables, you know, and all the kids are sitting there. And I remember sitting down next to my friend, Ben, who had his, you know, chips and granola bars. And then my friend Harrison, who had, you know, his peanut butter and jelly sandwich with the crust cut off. And then there was me with this big Tupperware of Persian rice. You know, I'm the son of Persian Jewish immigrants. So I have this big Tupperware of, you know, this green stew with red lima beans on top. And I'm talking like dark green, like poo, like poo green, <laughs> like colored <Yeah>. stew. <laughs> and, you know, anyone who's Persian, it's called Gourmet Sabzi. And I opened the lid of this Tupperware and the smell like exploded in the cafeteria. I remember all the kids turning around and looking and they started laughing and pointing, asking if I had rotten eggs for lunch. And I remember my face just turning bright red because for a third grader, that's like the your oh. worst nightmare. And yeah. I remember, you know, putting my lunch away. And from that day on, I would never take my lunch out of my backpack during lunchtime. And I would just wait until after school and eat alone. And the flinch really started then as my fear of being different and my fear of being rejected and my, you know, fear of being seen as weird. And as I grew older, it, it grew with me and it began to mushroom into, you know, fear of rejection and fear of making mistakes. And by the time I was 18 years old, setting off on the mission of this book, the feet, the, the flinch was this living, breathing being inside of me. And at that event where Steven Spielberg was at, the flinch was at its peak. My feet were turned to stone. My mouth was wired shut. Anybody who's ever felt the flinch knows that feeling where your throat feels like it's constricting. And even if you tried, you couldn't squeeze a word out. And you're, you know, your mind goes numb. And what I've learned about fear, when I had started 
working on the book, I had this assumption that the world's most successful people are all fearless. You know, we've all seen books called, you know, how to be fearless. There's all these articles about it. And I just assumed it's something that successful people had and I didn't. And a shocking realization on my journey of doing these interviews and all this research is I've realized the world's most successful people are never and were never fearless. Not once. The more research I did, the more I realized how terrified they were in the beginning of their journeys. And what I realized is fearlessness was never their goals. They never were reaching for fearlessness. Instead, the goal is courage. And the difference between fearlessness and courage is critical. Fearlessness is jumping off of the cliff and not thinking about it. You know, that's idiotic. Courage, on the other hand, is acknowledging how scared you are, analyzing the consequences, and then deciding that you still care so much about it, you're going to take one step forward anyway. Forget. And the moments that change your life are those moments of extreme courage. Yeah. Dear fabulous soul tribe, Fabletics has an extra special treat for you to help you live your passion for yoga and running and frolicking in nature every single day. They're gifting you two leggings for only $24. I know. It's really a $99 value, but it's for only $24. You can't go wrong. Just go to fabletics.com forward slash magic. Right now, I am wearing some high-waisted rose-colored leggings. I keep wearing these all the time because they're so comfortable. I might need to get another color of this exact type, but I love this brand. They are so cozy. And I've talked about before how I'm doing a lot of hot power vinyasa flows which is fairly intense. And so it really requires some good fabric to hold my sweat without that cute little sweat spot that we can be blessed with sometimes, if you know what I'm talking about. Well, Fabletics, they call themselves the Netflix of athletic wear or yoga wear, which is so true as they have their in-house unique designs. They continue to grow their selection constantly. And so you have an abundance of a selection that make your tushy look good. By the way, they are some of the most affordable activewear on the market with high quality material and they can do this because of their amazing VIP members program, which gives you 50% off regular prices plus free shipping and additional perks like a stylus. I would totally look into that if I were you. So Tribe, again, Fabletics is gifting you two leggings for only $24. So just visit fabletics.com forward slash magic. I'll leave it in the show notes for you. That's fabletics.com forward slash magic and pick your two pairs. Wow. You're right. Any idiot can just jump off the building and that would be quote unquote fearless, but taking the courage, that is a whole nother level and forget fearless and forget the flinch. You 
you, Alex, surpassed the flinch with endless persistence, by the way. And that is actually something I applaud you for because I have still yet to muster the courage to be persistent in pursuing lots of people for the podcast. And that is definitely a skill or a muscle that you worked or something. And that brings me to, I mean, Tim Ferriss is the one that Someone taught you that, right? You know, I love that you just called it a muscle because <laughs> I 100% agree. What I've learned is that courage or taking risks, it's like a muscle where the more you work it, the stronger it gets. And, you know, you wouldn't go to the gym. Let's say you want to be a weightlifter. You wouldn't just go to the gym without any any practice weightlifting and just go lift, you know, 500 pounds. You would break your body. And the same is true with taking risks. If you're just, you know, if you've lived a very, you know, steady life to just be like, all right, um, you know, quitting my job tomorrow, selling all my possessions and moving to Costa Rica in six hours, you know, you could do it. It just might be the most shocking thing to your system. Now, if let's say doing that is your goal, just like if let's say your goal is to lift 500 pounds in the gym, it might be a good idea to start with, you know, 15 pounds. And once that feels good, go to 30 pounds and 50 pounds and then a hundred pounds. And eventually you'll work your way to 500. And the reason the gym analogy is so critical and beautiful to me is that just like going to the gym, taking risks sometimes leaves you very sore. But that soreness means that you're you're pushing yourself to the point where you're building new muscle. Yes, that you gain something. Exactly. So when you, just like in the gym, if you you know really push yourself in the gym and you're sore the next day, that happens when you take risks. But that doesn't mean that you did it, you did something wrong. That means that you're pushing yourself in your comfort zone. And that soreness means your body is now adapting to that new comfort zone. And you became comfortable with getting uncomfortable. And you were relentless and persistent in your emails to so many of these people. The Tim Ferriss story cracks me up, by the way. So good. In fact, do you mind sharing a little snippet of it? But they have to read it to really get the full story. So one of the people who I you know, set out to interview was the, and he was definitely on the young, you know, most of the people in the book are, you know, from oh, the yeah. older generation and like yeah. Quincy Jones or Bill Gates. One of the, there's a few people who are from, you know, the younger, our generation. And one of them is Tim Ferriss, the author of the Far Work Week. You know, it sold millions of copies and the Tim Ferriss podcast has done extremely well. And to me, I was just adamant that Something told me I had to learn from this guy. And, you know, I sent him a bunch of emails. I found someone who knew him, who knew him. It, it just nothing worked. So one night I was in my, you know, in my bedroom and I was on my computer and I saw a random newsletter saying the, you know, blah, blah, blah conference featuring Tim Ferriss is next week. And I was like, holy shit, maybe that's my opening. I'm sure if I just meet Tim Ferriss in person and tell him about my dream to write this book, like he'll say yes. So I used my prices Right money. I booked a plane ticket to San Francisco. It was the first time I ever booked a plane ticket, you know, without my parents. I was, you know, 18. Oh, and so grown up. 
Yeah. So I, you know, I fly to San Francisco and, you know, I just have this plan of I'm going to go and sit in the first row of this event. And the second Tim Ferriss is done with a speech, I'm going to go talk to him. And, you know, that was the plan. So I get to the event. I see that there's a staircase on the far right side of the stage. So I get a seat right next to that staircase on the far right side. The lights dim and Tim Ferriss walks on stage from the far left side. There was like a secret staircase on the other side. So now I'm on the complete opposite side of the arena. And I realized, I looked around and I saw I wasn't the only one there to talk to Tim Ferriss. Pretty much everyone there was holding a copy of the four-hour work week. And I realized, you know, I'm I'm going to blow it if I don't figure something out. So, you know, I sort of tiptoe out of my seat and I scan the room and I see that there's a bathroom on the far left side of the room next to the far left staircase. And it was like guarded by a bouncer. And I realized like I have no choice. So I just like run up to the bouncer and I'm just like, I have to go to the bathroom. I have to go to the bathroom. And he just like <laughs> awkwardly like lets me in. And I end up crouching in that bathroom with my ear pressed against the tile wall, listening to Tim Ferriss's talk, waiting to hear applause so I can jump out of the bathroom when it's done. And I end up having to crouch in the bathroom for five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, you know, the smell of urine stinging my nostrils. Oh, great. (laughs) And after 30 minutes, I finally hear the applause. And I jump out of the bathroom and literally standing two feet in front of me is Tim Ferriss all alone. Wow. Alone. And, you know, that's how we made that initial connection. But, you know, it wasn't so easy. I ended up having to send him 32 emails to try to confirm the interview. (laughs) But finally, it was time for the interview. And, you know, what I learned about Tim Ferriss is he actually got his first job out of college at a company that wasn't hiring. And if anybody listening right now is, you know, looking for a new job, at a company that isn't hiring, this is a pretty relevant story. And what Tim did is he cold emailed the CEO of the company he wanted to work with and eventually got the job. And when Tim then decided he wanted to be an author, he also cold emailed other best-selling authors asking for advice. So I realized cold emailing was this big theme in Tim's success early on. So I asked him, you know, what's your cold email template? Like, what's your secret? That's a good question. And he revealed this secret template that he used. And I've used it over the past, you know, five years, five, six years. And it's changed my life. It's gotten me in contact with my dream mentors. It's gotten me in contact with people who I interviewed for the book. And the best thing is... Now that it's in the book, you know, the readers have been using it. And some of my favorite things to see on the book's Amazon page where you look at the reviews is there's some comments that like in all caps locks say, the Tim Ferriss template works. Like people are freaking out and it makes me so happy. So this is the template. Are you ready? Yes. I was about to ask. Tell us. Okay. It goes like this and you have to follow it, you know, precisely. This is like baking. All right. All right. It starts like this. You know, hi, so-and-so. I know you're incredibly busy and you get a lot of emails, so this will only take 60 seconds to read. 
Boom. Next paragraph. This is where you say one or two sentences max of who you are and what credibility you have that's relevant to the person you're talking to. Boom. Next paragraph. This is where you say, again, one to two sentences max of your highly specific question for the person, something they can answer right away. Like, what is your best book recommendation for an aspiring author? What is the best you know, yoga flow for someone who had a hip injury, you know, something that you can, that they can answer right away. And the final paragraph is the clincher. You go, I totally understand if you're too busy to respond. Even a one or two line reply will completely make my day. All the best, Tim. And yeah, the responses have just been remarkable. That was an email you definitely needed to know. Yeah, oh my God. It has, you know, it saved me. I got advice from some of my heroes like Malcolm Gladwell. I, you know, it's just different people have used it to reach out to Cheryl Sandberg and get responses. It's remarkable how this email template works wonders. And you also provide this in your book, huh? Yeah, it's is- uh it's definitely one of the most practical tools in the book for sure. Of course. And of course, Tim would know. Um, and what are some no-nos for cold emailing? So some of the most important things not to do when you're cold emailing someone is, you know, n- number one, and these are all things that Tim taught me in the interview. Number one is never ask someone to, you know, just grab coffee or pick your brain. Yeah. You know, especially if someone is busy and they it, they just don't have time for anything. For, some, for something, you know, as general and ambiguous as that. Number two, um, don't use superlatives like, you know, I'm working on a project that's perfect for you. That's going to be the best thing, your your biggest investment of the year. Would love to have coffee. You know, don't use superlatives because people will assume quite fairly that you don't know what's perfect for them. Right. Um, a third one is don't, you know – don't push the quantity of emails. You know, being persistent is good. You know, maybe sending one very thoughtful short note a week for, you know, three weeks or four weeks in a row, that's okay. But if you're sending, you know, long emails multiple times a week, that is a fast track to getting blacklisted, you know? So those are the most practical things. And if anybody out there wants to make a dramatic change in their life, here's a little practice that you can do that made a huge difference in my life. And it's sort of what I call the dream mentor challenge. Mm, I like this, the dream mentor challenge. So anybody who wants to make a big difference in their life, this is something you can do starting today. So the first thing you do is get a journal and you know, on the first page, write the dream mentor challenge. On the second page, write a list of 30 people, and 30 is a lot, but that's the point, 30 people who would be your dream mentors. Now, I highly recommend, if not you know, insist, that 90% of the people on your list of 30 are not famous. Like they, you know, if they have more than, you know, 10,000 Instagram followers, that disqualifies them, you know? 
And the reason is the mentors who have changed my life the most are the ones who were not in the public spotlight. And you'll be surprised, you know, you'll be shocked that, you know, the best advice in the world doesn't necessarily come from the most famous people in the world. It comes from the people with the most experience and expertise on the subject. And there are hundreds, if not thousands of people with expertise in whatever you want to learn who are not well known. You know, if you want to be a film director, as as great as Steven Spielberg is, even if you do get the chance to connect with him for 30 minutes, it would be very rare if he has the time to be calling you every week to check in on how your progress is. Whereas there are remarkable film directors who aren't in the spotlight, ones who have made you know major blockbusters even who aren't in the spotlight. So that's my recommendation. So make that list of 30. So the first thing to do is make that list of 30. And then every day for the next 30 days, go down that list and spend one hour on Google reading everything you can about them. And then at the end of the hour, write a cold email to them using the Tim Ferriss cold email template. And again, remember, the cold email template isn't about, hey, I would love to have lunch with you. It's asking them a very specific question and asking for their advice and opening that dialogue is what gets your foot in the door. So if they recommend, you know, if they respond recommending a book, read the whole book, maybe read it twice or three times and then respond to them a week or two weeks later saying, you know, I really took your advice to heart. I read your, I read the book three times. It changed my life. Do you have any recommendations about X, Y, or Z? And then they go, damn, this kid is really on it. That was super impressive. So making that list of 30, sending 30 cold emails using the Tim Ferriss template, you will be shocked by the end of 30 days what will happen. And you, you know, you owe it to yourself. It's so easy. It's free. You know, if, yeah. if you have a phone or a computer, this is free and it can change your life forever. So what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? That's a great way to spend your time and to have that dream mentor list, but then to actually muster the courage to reach out. And I'm sure that especially those that aren't, you know, at a high profile spot like Bill Gates or Tim Ferriss, that they'll be happy to, they'll be happy to answer. And it's not asking for coffee um, because I mean, I'm definitely no Bill Gates and I'm sure you get the coffee question all the time too, but that's one of my most frequent asks is like, let's go out to coffee or lunch. And I don't even know the person, but I want to, but you can't satisfy everyone and you want to connect with everyone. And so just a question about whatever it is, that's the best way to connect with somebody. I agree 100%. Tribe, I have something for you that will encourage you to expand your knowledge and skill sets in many creative and business and other lifestyle endeavors. And if you happen to have listened to the intro, well, then you may know that I am all about taking courses that fuel me to be better and brighter than I was yesterday and to create my own new magic every day. And that's why this sponsor, Skillshare, is so fitting for your own magic 
as they can help us unleash our own magic and nourish our own skills by either deepening ones that exist or learning new skills that have been hidden within. So from taking a creative writing masterclass so I can finally finish this book for my literary agent to photography so I can take insta-worthy pics of my friends and even entrepreneur courses I now have my eye on and I intend to take, you know, for Yom, for you. I have over 20,000 different courses to choose from. You have over 20,000 courses to choose from for less than a dollar, less than a pound and less than a euro, I believe. So only 99 cents for two whole months. Yes, that is truly a steal. To sign up, go to skillshare.com forward slash magic and make sure you follow the link to get the deal. Again, go to skillshare.com forward slash magic to start your two months now. That's skillshare.com forward slash magic. And if you do this, share it with me and the tribe in the Facebook group and what classes you're taking now if you'd like. I'd love to know. Now, you didn't receive some emails sometimes and you just kept being persistent. You didn't give up. And indeed, persistence again happened with Warren Buffett, right? And you even reminded yourself to stay persistent and to not allow the rejections to get in the way by plastering persistent quotes all over the wall, <laughs> which is brilliant. That sounds like me. I'll post like mantras on the wall of something I need at that time. Um, how did you finally reach Buffett and what is your greatest lesson from him? So it is very related to persistence. Of course. And so, you know, Warren Buffett is, you know, the most successful investor in financial history. And, you know, of course, he was someone I really wanted to interview. And I set my sights on 100% focusing on getting an interview with Warren Buffett. And I ended up going on this eight month quest where interviewing Warren Buffett was my number one goal to the point where you have to understand, I had dropped out of school by this point. I'm waking up at 6 a.m., some days 5 a.m., going to sleep at you know 11 p.m., and the only thing I am working on is trying to get an interview with Warren Buffett. And I am you know handwriting letters to his office, calling his assistant, and to my surprise, Warren Buffett would actually handwrite some responses back to me. Yeah. But, wow. you know, I would be writing two page long letters and he would be writing two sentences, but his, still, you know, still, still you it was great. penmanship in your hand. Yeah. And it was wonderful. But, you know, his response was essentially, thank you, but no, thank you. <laughs> and, but I just thought, you know, persistence, every business book says persistence is the key to success. So I'm just going to keep at it. And I just was hounding him for eight months straight letter after letter after letter after letter and he's just hitting me with a no and a no and a no and a no and it felt like i was in this boxing ring you know with my hands tied behind my back and warren buffett is you know swinging his fist back in the air and just slamming me in the gut week after week after week after week to the point where it felt like i was coughing up blood and you know i just kept at it and i i ended up going to Buffett's shareholders meeting and hacking the shareholders meeting. And, you know, that was a whole adventure in and of itself. But what ended up happening at the end of this quest with Buffett is I finally was able to get an interview with Bill Gates. 
And the interview with Bill Gates went so well that Bill Gates' office said, Alex, we, you know, we're so we're so on board with this mission. We would love to help however we can. And I'm like, well, I know Bill and Warren Buffett are best friends. Do you think you can make an introduction? And they're like, of course. And Bill Gates's chief of staff messages Buffett's office about me. And Buffett's office essentially goes, oh, we know all about Alex. Wow. And I got a message from Bill Gates's office saying, please, no more messages to Warren. Thank you. <sighs> and it was shocking to me because not only was the answer still no, I had essentially gotten myself blacklisted from Warren Buffett's office. And the lesson there for me was the last thing I wanted, but probably the biggest thing I needed, which is that there's a such thing as over-persistence. That there's a such thing as over-persistence. And no business book talks about it. No one ever, you know, no business book ever has an asterisk when they say persistence is the key to success that says, oh, and by the way, over-persistence is also the key to to failure, you know? There is a limit. Yeah, and no one talks about this. And Mm. there's a, you know, there's, you can, you know, everyone talks about banging on the door, but there's a point where you bang on a door so many times that instead of breaking that door down, the person on the other side just you know, calls the police on you. And I learned that I had dug myself into such a deep hole with over-persistence that even Bill Gates couldn't pull me out. Wow. At that time, did you have a spiral down period or did you just get back up and continue? (laughs) I am the king of the spiral down periods. (laughs) (laughs) I hear you. But you did actually finally reach Bill Gates. Yeah. And, you know, one of the great, you know, great lessons I learned came from Richard Saul Warman, the founder of the TED conference. And he said he lives his life by two mantras. One, if you don't ask, you don't get. And two, most things don't work out. Wow. And that has played out over and over and over again on this journey, which is if you don't ask, you don't get. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, most things don't work out. Even if you're over persistent, especially if you're over persistent. (laughs) Exactly. Now, the most relatable, unrelatable person in the world, the holy grail that you know, Bill Gates. Mm. I just think that people should read how you made this possible. It's just, it's fascinating. And you went for it. What was your greatest takeaway from Bill and the insights that he gifted you? You know, the interview with Bill Gates, you know, it took two years to make it happen. And when it finally came together, you know, during the interview, there was tremendous lessons about his sales secrets and his negotiation secrets. But one of the most surprising lessons had nothing to do with business. When I went in there, I, you know, Bill Gates was... To, put, to say he was on a pedestal in my mind is a gross understatement. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like you said, he was the holy grail interview for me. And when I went in there, I had every question mapped out like a treasure map. You know, I knew exactly where I was going. And when I went into that interview, I was just like, you know, blasting through questions. And 
at the end of the interview, you know, Bill Gates' chief of staff goes, you know, you have time for one more question. And I look down at my notepad and there are still dozens of unasked questions. And I'm thinking, all right, I have one final minute with one of my heroes. What am I going to do? And I was just like, fuck it. I want to have some fun. And I throw my notepad to the side and I just ask Bill, I'm like, what is, you know, your funniest hustle story from your early days? And he, he leans back in his chair and a smile comes on his face and he looks up at the ceiling, almost as if he's watching a movie play in his mind's eye. And he starts laughing to himself and he starts telling me these hilarious stories from when he was in his early 20s in Japan trying to you know sell so- Microsoft software to these Japanese computer companies. And he's telling me these hilarious stories and he's cracking up and I'm cracking up and all of the tension of the interview completely shattered. Mm. And it no longer felt like an interview. It just felt like a couple guys having a good time. And – There was this aura of warmth that was starting to spread throughout the room. And, you know, Bill is telling me even more stories about these Japanese executives and we're laughing even more. And, you know, the interview's up and we stand up and, you know, he tells me another story and we're laughing. And, you know, we shake hands and he says goodbye. And he walks over to his desk and I walk towards the door. And I look over my shoulder grasping for this one final glimpse because just when it started feeling right, it was over. And what I learned from that is that even the, you know, the wealthiest man on earth who's, you know, who's Bill Gates at the end of the day is a guy who wants to laugh and joke and remember funny memories And that's what makes people human. Yes. Oh, that was probably such a breath of fresh air for him, for you to all of a sudden not be so rigid and fun and bring back this light in his life. And also it sounds, it's just amazing that at that moment, you even shifted your perspective of wanting to be present, wanting to be present with him during your interviews and all your other interviews leading up to it. Were you more present after that moment? Oh, yeah. So all of the interviews in the book completely shifted after that Bill Gates interview. And they were all good, but you start seeing the humanity come out a lot more after that Bill Gates interview with Jessica Alba and Maya Angelou and Pitbull and Jane Goodall and Quincy Mm -hmm. Jones and Lady Gaga. It's – if it wasn't for Bill Gates, those other interviews wouldn't be what they are. And at the same time, the Bill Gates interview couldn't have been more perfect in some ways. So it all worked out quite wonderfully. And I love that you just now brought up the ladies because it's so interesting to me that you actually, in a moment, you stepped outside of yourself to reflect back and acknowledge that you had only interviewed men um, who you and your male friends wanted to hear from. And you were thinking, wait, what about the ladies? And you interviewed one of my heroes, Maya Angelou. I wrote down what she told you. She told you, don't narrow your life down. I'm Mm. 85 and I'm just getting started. Life is going to be short no matter how long it is. You don't have much time. 
go to work. Oh, ah. I have chills just reading that again. It's so later, good. It's so good. And if you didn't talk to her, you wouldn't have because one year later she passed away. Mm. What a great lesson in not waiting for the right moment, but to follow that impulse and to do and to act. Yeah. What was one of your greatest takeaways from Maya? Ooh, there's so many. It's one of my favorite <laughs> chapters. Um, there are so many. I could just recite her lines. She, you know, one of my favorite things she said is, and I keep going back to it. She shared a quote with me that said, every storm runs out of rain. Every storm runs out of rain. And, you know, this past, this past year has been, um, a very difficult year because my my dad passed away from pancreatic cancer about a year ago, and then I had two grandparents pass away last month. And you know, I found myself going back to that mantra of every storm runs out of rain. And you know, knowing and reminding yourself of the impermanence of that pain um, helps you know, bring you some perspective in the darkest of times. I'm sitting with this moment. This is something everybody needs to hear. Another woman, another woman who I admire so much, Jessica Alba, and reflecting Mm. on the magnitude that she's accomplished. And you wrote, let's see, I have it here. Many celebrities create businesses that are a reflection of their lives on the mountaintop. They create fragrances or clothing lines, but Alva created a business that's a reflection of her lowest point. She tapped into her humanity. Again, you are a wonderful storyteller, and I can't wait for mm-hmm. everyone, if they haven't already, to read this. Uh, what was your greatest nugget of wisdom that you picked up from Jessica? You know, with Jessica Alba, I went into that interview And it so happened to be right after my dad had been diagnosed by pancreatic cancer. And I remember, you know, sitting in the lobby of the Honest Company, Jessica Alba's company. And I remember sitting in the lobby right before the interview, just trying to get myself mentally prepared, just trying to get myself to stop thinking about death, you know? And... And I just kept reminding myself, look, these interviews, they're, this is work. I have to be professional. I just need to, you know, focus on the mission and stop thinking about death. And, you know, I got escorted to Jessica's office. I'm going down this hallway and there's bright lights and beautiful art and just everything about the honest company is bright and positive. And I knew the interview had to go that way too. It had to be bright and positive. And I, you know, walk into her office and she couldn't have been kinder. And we sit down on the couch and, you know, I wanted the first question to take us to a bright and positive place. So I asked her, what was the best lesson your mother ever taught you? And Jessica leans back and thinks and goes, you know, my mom taught me to appreciate every moment you have with your parents because you never know when it'll be your last. And I'm like, oh God, you know, I'm like kneeling over in pain. And Jessica just keeps going. She's like, you know, my mom taught me that life will be over like this. 
Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, no. And she's like, you know, my mom taught me that to appreciate, you know, every moment because your parents won't be around forever. And I'm just like literally in pain. So I had to change the subject. So mm-hmm. I went to the most safe ground I could think of. You know, I had done a ton of research on Jessica. I knew I've watched all of her interviews and I knew that every time somebody asks her, how did you start the Honest Company? She says this beautiful, positive answer about, you know, babies and happiness. And so I asked her, you know, how did you start the Honest Company? Because I knew how she would answer. But for some reason that day, she gave a brand new answer. She said, I was thinking about mortality. And I'm like, oh, no. Wow. (laughs) You know, she's like, she's like, I realized when I had my child that if she could so easily just come into this earth, she can so easily leave. And Jessica starts telling me all about her family history of death and cancer. And I didn't know what to say, but it didn't matter because Jessica just kept on going, talking about death and cancer and death and cancer and death and cancer to the point where I was physically nauseous. And it just, I just blurted out. I was like, my dad has pancreatic cancer. Wow. And she just, you know, slapped her hand down on the couch and was like, fuck. Wow. And it felt like somebody had gotten a bucket of ice water and splashed it in my face. And a weight was lifted off my shoulders that I didn't even know existed. And from that point on, you know, it was no longer an interview. And we ended up talking for an hour about, you know, cancer in our families. And in that discussion is how I discovered the key to Jessica Alba's success how she went from being, you know, one of the most well-known actresses on earth to founding a billion dollar company. And what I've realized is that so many of us hide from our fears. We almost spend our entire lives building these lives that help us avoid confronting our fears. But with Jessica, she did the opposite. She acknowledged that her biggest fear was death and getting sick. And she looked her biggest fears in the eyes, grabbed it by the collar, sat it down, and said, what the fuck am I going to do about this? And that's how she started The Honest Company. She grabbed her biggest fear, sat it down, and said, what am I going to do about this? And sometimes the moments that change your life the most are when you stop running away from your fears, you grab it by the collar, look it in the eyes, and ask yourself, what the fuck am I going to do? Mm-hmm. What are you going to do? It's under your control now. Wow. Her heart, her heart, her honesty too. No pun intended. I'm just, <laughs> wow, way more profound than an interview. And your timing, by the way, for everything and every person looking back, if you look at the big picture of what has happened with these people, looking back, it seems so divine, divine timing. And I also just, I want to acknowledge you and your acknowledgement and your your sentiment for your dad at the end was mm-hmm. so beautiful, so strong. You thanked him before everyone else. And it just shows that you see this in a deeper way and everything that you've learned has a deeper meaning behind all the glamour of success, like most quote unquote success or self-help or entrepreneurial books have. You 
provided greater value in a deeper way so people can connect more with themselves. And so I'm sure that he is so proud. Thank you. It means a lot. Yeah. Well, any other story or experience mm. that you want to highlight? Perhaps maybe Lady Gaga, because she was so excited to talk with you. That was beautiful. Yeah. You know, yeah, I guess I'm, my mind is sort of on my dad right now. And Oh, yeah. No, let's, my, let's talk that. Well, it's just, yeah, I don't even know what, what there is to say. But when you when you brought up Lady Gaga, I just, I remembered what it was like at the end of that experience. I remember I came back, I came back from, you know, that four day adventure with Gaga in, in Texas. And I came back to LA and, you know, probably one of the best parts of the entire Lady Gaga experience was actually being able to share it with my dad. Because when I came back to LA, I landed at the airport and my dad's like favorite thing was picking me up from the airport <sighs> because it was just like our time to, you know, to talk and, and bond. And because when we were kids, you know, we would spend time in the car all the time together. But when I started working on the book, I would be traveling and the one time that he would be able to, you know, have me in the car was coming from the airport. So he like sort of made it his thing to always pick me up from the airport. And I remember I came back from the Lady Gaga experience and I was just like on cloud nine, but exhausted at the same time. And, and I threw my duffel bag into the back of my dad's car at the airport and I sat in the front seat next to him and I just gave him this like big hug and he asked me like how the interview went with Lady Gaga and I told him it never happened. Mm. And as I told him the story of what actually happened over those four days, my dad let out this, you know, big, beautiful smile and we headed home. Wow. And I'll always remember that. What was your favorite memory of your dad before the seven-year roller coaster? Before? Yeah. We used to go biking at the beach when I was like really young. Like bike bicycle riding was my dad's favorite hobby. And he taught me when I was really young how to bike ride and he would take me and I, you know, I was like six or seven and I would barely be able to do it, but he would just, you know, bike alongside me and we would bike, bike across like the, the boardwalk on the beach. And I love it. And then we would go get like little mango juices. And <laughs> it's funny how at the end of someone's life, you would think like the big memories are the big moments. And, you know, the ones that are, you know, maybe a wedding or a bar mitzvah or like, you know, those mm -hmm. big celebratory moments. But it never is. It never is. Mm -hmm. It's the little moments mm -hmm. that you remember most and that you'll cherish most. The mango juice moments. Mm. Wow. Who else is on your bucket list for interviewing that will make your dad proud or somebody that your dad wants you to interview? Ooh, that's a funny question. Cause when you, when you first asked, I like instantly a name popped in my head, but then you said who my dad wants me to interview. I was like, Oh, that's not him, but yeah. I'll say it anyways. The person who I still really want to interview is Barack Obama. Oh, my dad yeah. is not. My dad was not an Obama fan, <laughs> unlike me, who I, I loved uh, President Obama. My dad did not. Um, but it's interesting that when my dad passed, the first – I remember like a week after he passed, I was in my bedroom and I saw Barack Obama's book, Dream, Dream for My Fathers. 
Wow. Dream from my father. Dreams from my father. Wow. And I had never read it, but I always had the book. And, you know, just something about the title made me reach for it. And I remember, you know, just spending a day going to a coffee shop reading the book. And I just felt this connection that I'd never felt before. And if I do get the chance to interview President Obama, which I hope can happen soon, I want to talk to him about what it was like when he lost his father, what it was like when he became a father, and how those experiences shaped his ability to, in some ways, be the father of a nation. You will. You will soon. I, If anybody can do it, <laughs> you, Alex, <laughs> can definitely do it. And that will be one powerful interview and probably something that would be a breath of fresh air for him to actually talk about. Hmm and be interviewed about. I love it. That's going to happen, Alex. Let's put it out there in the ethers. Thank you. Are you ready for a rapid fire round? I would love that. Yes. Morning or night person? Ooh, morning. Yeah. What's your morning routine like? It used to be very militant, you know, mm. 6 a.m. office. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> now it's a lot more loosey goosey. And the only thing that is consistent in my mornings is I do TM, Transcendental Meditation, for 20 minutes every morning. Mm-hmm. That has to be consistent. Me too. Yeah. Well, it's not always transcendental. Mine, it just depends what is in the moment. But that's beautiful. And how about when you were writing this book? Did you have a writing routine? I did. So I would wake up normally around you know, six, go straight to my office, park in the parking lot of my office, have a yellow legal pad on the passenger seat, knowing what I needed to write that morning. And I would close my eyes, do 20 minutes of TM in my car in the parking lot at like, you know, 6.30 in the morning, you know, the parking lot's empty. Do 20 minutes of TM, open my eyes and just start writing. Yeah, wow. And my best writing always came in that morning session, mm -hmm. in a car, in the parking lot after a TM. That is so unique. In a car, I don't know if I would be able to feel the flow there. <laughs> I'm like, in the trees. Oh, I'm very funny. Me and my mom are very similar in the sense that we get a lot of comfort from like constricted spaces. Like airplanes, I feel so safe in, oh, you know, uh... being, you know, being in a tiny little seat, you know, window seat in an airplane. Like, I, I don't know why I love it. Like being in a car all alone. Like I l love it. Um, You're... I, I thrive in tiny offices. <laughs> if you take me to like a WeWork, I feel lost and confused. Oh, that is hilarious. You are one unique creature. That's funny. <laughs> WeWork. Uh, dog or cat person? Dog. Strawberry, chocolate, vanilla, or Neapolitan? Ooh, yeah. ooh, ooh, all of them. Well, then, but if I had to choose one, yeah, if I had to choose one, chocolate. Okay, okay, that seems to be the most popular answer. Favorite city in the world? Um, can I tell you a funny chocolate thing? <laughs> yes, please, of course. Okay, so, so you read the book, so you know Elliot Bisno. No. So, so Elliot Bisno. In oh the book. yes, 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 Elliot. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. I remember yes, that whole bit. Okay, yes. I'm sorry. <laughs> I do remember. So. That bit. Well, I worded that weird. I was like, you know him. I meant you, from the book. He's in the book. And Elliot and I have this thing. So, 
you know, Elliot's wife, Nicole, has wanted Elliot and I to get a bit healthier and get, you know, our eating on track and not eat so much junk food. So we're like, you know, absolutely. We, uh, we are eating super clean, Nicole. And we also want to be a lot more spiritual. So every night we're doing uh, cacao ceremonies. Oh my God. Elliot and I just, you know, <laughs> close our eyes and open a giant bar of dark chocolate every night and stuff our faces. <laughs> and we're like, we are so spiritual now oh because we, we do cacao ceremonies. <laughs> and, you oh, know, I, so it's great. obviously a joke. Cacao ceremonies are oh. a very real thing. We have a lot of respect for them. Um, but Nicole is very spiritual, so we just use that as a That's way a to mess with her. We're like, That's Nicole, a- this is this this is not junk food. This is spirituality. I need the Sershi bar because this is spirituality. Yes, I'm sure you it's have a better quality chocolate than that, though. But yeah. Yes. That's so great. Favorite city in the world? Ooh. Home for me is Los Angeles because that's where my mom and my sisters are and my mm-hmm. best friends are. However, where I feel where I have felt the most alive. If it was a city, I have to say Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. But if it's a place, I would say the Savannah, the Savannah in northern Kenya Ooh. is where I have felt the most alive. Ah, oh, that's amazing. Did you see any elephants? Oh, my – did I see elephants? Oh, oh. Me and the elephants are best friends. That is so great. I need to go there. And do you have any stories behind this? Because this is a not-so-rapid-fire round with you. You're quite a storyteller. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Elliot Bisno and I went on a unbelievable, life-changing trip to Kenya. And it was the best trip I've ever been on. We were just living in this this beautiful place called Sarara Camp, with the Sambru people in, you know, right next to the Matthews Mountain Ranges in northern Kenya. You know, there's not a single paved road anywhere. Um, the only way to get there is to take a little tiny plane that lands on a, you know, a dirt runway. And this camp, you know, unlike many other safari camps in Africa, which are very touristy, this is the, one of the first indigenous people owned camps where the the Sembru people own the camp, they help run the camp, and all the profits from the camp go to them. And they use it to, you know, go to medical clinics and upgrade their education facilities. And it is just unbelievable. And, you know, we we were there when they were creating a elephant, baby elephant sanctuary, a baby, oh, which is essentially yes. a baby elephant orphanage, where because of poachers, sometimes mother elephants are killed, leaving the babies stranded to die. And Sarara, with the Simbaru people, in collaboration with Conservation International, created a elephant orphanage, you know, the first one in northern Kenya, where all these baby elephants are rescued and raised. And until they're strong enough to go back into the wild on their own. Unbelievable. And you can adopt them, by the way, online. It's, you can they're do- the best. That's amazing. They're the cutest things ever created. Well, what's your favorite animal? Ooh. what? What's my favorite animal to like look at and play with? <laughs> or what's my favorite animal that I both. feel the most we'll connected to? Okay. Your, your spirit animal and the play animal. So I love the, you know, I love elephants. Yep. And I always thought my spirit animal was a lion. But then I realized, no, that's just my ego thinking that like lions are badass and I want to be badass. That's <laughs> when I like when I was in Africa and I finally saw a lion, I'm like, that's actually not me. 
<laughs> and it's crazy. It was like a really sad thing because my whole life I told everyone like I'm a lion, but like I'm not a lion. I'm actually not. Like I told you, I'm like the most scared kid on earth. Like I'm not a lion. Definitely not a lion then. Nope. No. More but of a meerkat. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> a year later, um, Elliot and I went on another trip to the Rogue River in Oregon. And on the first day there, I was, you know, we we're playing frisbee on the grass. And, I'm, you know, we took a break and I'm laying on the grass on my back, looking up at the sky. And a bald eagle appears and starts circling above us, like majestically. And I was like, Ooh. that's it. Like if I could be any animal, it's an eagle because yes, they're like, I, first of all, just flying to me, the way an eagle flies, all birds fly differently. The way an eagle flies, like if you watch it, like I want that. It is like completely, it's, it's just incredible the way they're just able to just be in the air and circle, but they can also like ferociously like dart at something like it's just – and their perspective of the earth is incredible. And yeah, yeah I they just felt a really strong connection. Anytime I see an eagle, I just – my heart just jumps up. I love it. Now we know your spirit animal. Yep, it's an eagle. And they're so rare too. So that's a very magical. Yeah. Favorite movie. Ooh. It depends what mood I'm in. <laughs> Fair my enough. favorite movie in childhood. Did you ever watch the movie My Big Fat Greek oh, Wedding? Oh, of course. Oh, my God. Yeah, that was like – when I was a kid, I would like quote that. I saw it like 50 times. Oh, dear. That's great. Oh, so that one's your favorite. Okay. Next yeah. one. <laughs> I'm used to you, you know, continuing with the stories. <laughs> no, I'm going to just drop the mic and be quick recording. <laughs> I love it. And book you're currently reading, if any. Ooh, in my backpack right now. Well, I'm reading four books right now at the same time. The one that's in my backpack right now is Sick in the Head by Judd Apatow. Ooh, Judd Apatow, one of my favorites. Can I tell you something crazy? Please, of course. This is actually, this is bananas, in my opinion. (laughs) I did not know. I, of course, knew who Judd Apatow was, but I didn't know, like, that much about him. And I'm reading, like, the opening pages of this book, and I'm only, like, 30 pages in, and it's already one of my favorite books. And I'm reading the introduction, and did you know Judd Apatow went to USC and during finals week, ditched finals to go on a game show, no. won the game show, no. then dropped out of college and went to go interview the world's most successful comedians. No, he didn't. What? What? I'm shocked not only that this exists, but that I've been doing this for seven years yes. and not a single person has ever brought this up. You need to go to and him? I feel like I'm going to see him and just like hug him and be like, my brother. And he'll be like, who are you? <laughs> I'm you. <laughs> that is hilarious, of course. It how is that possible? I, I don't even understand. And how do Trojans get away with it? That's what I don't understand. <laughs> it's very funny. All right. This one's for the ladies. Single? Uh... Very single and looking. Ah, single and looking. Now wait till your DMs. Like you're gonna <laughs> get bombarded. Would, that would be a that would be a beautiful thing to happen. <laughs> Define love. Hmm. Caring about that person's happiness more than your own. And you know, we had talked about Maya Angelou. One of my favorite quotes from Maya Angelou is that, you know, love doesn't restrict. Love's love sets you free. And you know, I if we're gonna be real here my my parents' relationship when i was growing up was a very you know i always thought 
I always told myself they love each other, but it was also a very restrictive relationship where they really, my dad really held on to my mom very tightly. And I realized with that, my Angela quote that like, you know, real love, or at least the love that I aspire to liberates, you know, love, love heals wounds. Love doesn't create wounds. Love, you know, liberates your traumas. It doesn't create new traumas. And the deepest loves that I have in my life, whether it's with my mom or with my best friends, um, they, you know, liberate me and they give me wings. And those are the relationships I'm most grateful for. Wow. That was beautiful. You're just spewing all this beauty, golden nuggets, your character, and you definitely deserve that kind of love. <laughs> I I love being a character. <laughs> me, me and my best friends. Um, and you actually uh, had him on the podcast, In Q. Oh, yes. And In Q and I always joke about how, you know, we hate people who – not we don't hate. We, we, we're not fans of people who are like too cool for school. We love people who are like complete characters and goofballs. Yes. And because it just makes life way more fun when everybody is just a quirky character. Oh, amen to that. And it's just more, it takes so much energy to be cool. Like I tried it for a couple of weeks. I, it didn't work. <laughs> like, <laughs> being like super cool takes a lot of energy to pretend like you don't care about things and to pretend like everything's like no big deal. Like I just would much rather love all people who are complete characters and goofballs. I love it. You're so colorful. Yeah, that just sounds so boring and dark and not fun. I agree. It's way more fun. It's, it's a bit more fun. It's a bit more fun indeed. All right. This is one of my favorite questions that I've been asking all of the guests lately. The universe gave you free billboards to share one message across the main highways in major cities all around the world, Alex. What would these billboards read? Wow. Um, it's so funny. I've like thought of a similar question. I always thought I, my, my answer would be saying there's always a way. Oh, that is you. That is cold. Yes. And, but what's so funny is I, I, there's something about the talk that I guess we're having that is like put me in such a different mood. Mm -hmm. And I want to do something like something along the lines of like, you are loved or love yourself, you know, yeah. something along those lines. And maybe tomorrow I'll be back in the there's always a way mood. But this conversation has definitely sent me into the love space. The love space. Absolutely. I love that. Well, it's a testament to you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> that means the world. Seriously. Are you ready for the last question that you've answered this before? I am so ready. Do you know what I'm about to ask you? I don't. Oh, I'm very okay. excited. How would you advise the Euro Magic listeners to create their own magic? Hmm. Give yourself space. If you need to cry, sob. If you need to be alone, take a few days. The biggest gift you can give yourself is the space for you to go back to who you are. And what I've learned is that the moment, you know, our society for some reason, you know, has glorified productivity and efficientness and getting things done. But the biggest moments in life that actually lead sometimes to the most productive insights are when you just 
turn off your phone, turn off your computer, go for a walk and give yourself space to be. That is exactly how you can create your own magic. I love that. Alex, you're brilliant. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm so excited for more of this. I know. I am so excited. I feel like we're just getting started. I know. It feels like we're – that was so fast, by the way, with only an hour and a half, but it feels like it's only been half an hour. That was amazing. Ooh. And also, when you Mm -hmm. talked about the dream mentor list – I want to highly encourage everyone listening to share their dream mentor list with you on their Insta stories by tagging you. Oh, yeah. That would be amazing. I would love that. Where can everyone find you on the web? I would love that. So like you said, Instagram is is my favorite platform, and it's at Alex Benayan. So A-L-E-X-B-A-N-A-Y-A-N. And it's the same handle for Twitter and Facebook, at Alex Benayan. Um, and if you end up, you know, making the dream mentor list or buying the third door, definitely, definitely let me know so I can give you a giant thank you. And of course, the third door is available everywhere books are sold. Audible, Amazon, bookstores, Barnes and Noble, Kindle, wherever you love to buy your favorite books. I love it. I bought mine on Kindle and it's wonderful. I love that. Yes. Alex, thank you so much for this time and doing a part two. This was amazing. Thank you again and again and again. (laughs) Soul tribe, yummies, yum fries. (laughs) Oh man, thank you so much for lending your ear. If you like this episode and you have a friend in mind who could use this message, please follow that impulse and spread the magic. And if you're interested in discovering self-exploration tools for your soul, well, I invite you to join the Soul Tribe exclusive site at yourownmagic.life, where I have many meditative imaginings and journalings and magic challenges and more for $4.44 per month. (laughs) $4.44. And you can receive a little teaser if you rate and review the podcast. I'll just send you a meditative imagining to your inbox. Plus, you'll be entered for a chance to win $150 worth of Hum giveaway products. What? And so just send a screenshot of your rate and review to hello at yourownmagic.life. Anyways, I love you all so much. Thank you for being a light in this tribe and have a magical day.